Well, good morning again, LC. I'm excited to be back with you. I was out of town last weekend preaching, but it's always good to come back home, and so I'm excited for the word that God has this morning. How many of you guys were here last Sunday? Yes, man. Pastor Andrew did a phenomenal job. I got on and watched the service uh, last week, and it was so good. If you missed last Sunday, I'd encourage you, get on, watch that message, listen to it as we talk about how to navigate the minefield and deal with worry because worry is one of those things that always creeps up in our head, and it chokes out the life that God has for us. It steals our joy and our peace, because we're so overwhelmed with worry. So, Andrew, thank you for that. It ministered to me this week as I listened to it. I'm excited about the message this Sunday. It's something that God laid on my heart months ago in preparation for this series, because what we're talking about today and how to navigate the minefield is one of those subjects, one of those issues that we all deal with, and the enemy wants to come in and kill, steal, and destroy our destiny based on this issue, and it's this, insecurity. Everyone say insecurity. Insecurity, Insecurity, that many times in life, insecurity can attach itself to us in a lot of different ways, in many different forms and fashions, and then we go through life battling and dealing with insecurity. And this is one of those places that the devil, he plays the long game, that he wants to start creating insecurity in us a long time ago. We've used the example in the series about how when you were eight years old on the recess Uh, you know, playing recess, and you're out playing kickball, and you get picked last to be on the kickball team, right? And what happens? The little devil pops up on your shoulder, and he starts to tell you, you're not good enough. Nobody likes you. You don't measure up. And so as children, he starts to tell us these lies that create insecurity. But as we get older, who knows that those lies don't stop. The hits just keep coming. That people speak over us, and things happen that make us feel like we aren't good enough. It makes us feel like we aren't secure in who we are. And insecurity is one of the greatest weapons the devil uses to halt our progress. That his goal is to create landmines in the minefield, and when we step on them, they blow up and they stop our forward progress. And so God has called you to big things, but if you allow insecurity to take root, then you're not going to proceed into the things that God has for you because you don't believe enough in yourself. And as an adult, these lies, they keep coming. We keep telling ourselves, I'm not enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I don't have the right friends, I don't have enough money, there's no way that God could use me. And we've talked about in this series that the brain is very efficient at thinking, that your brain literally builds new neurological pathways, so if you think about something a whole lot, your brain fashions itself to think about that thing more efficiently. You build new neurological pathways. Remember, if you walk through the woods, you'll eventually create a trail that's easier to get down. And insecurity is the same thing. That if you tell yourself enough that you're not good enough, you'll begin to believe it. And it'll begin to take root in your heart. And you'll start to really think, I am ugly. I am stupid. I am worthless. I am unimportant. I am replaceable. And you start to tell these things to yourself because your brain has walked down that path so many different times. And for some of us that have dealt with insecurity since a young age, It not is only something that we feel, but it becomes a part of who we are. It's like ingrained in us that who we are is insecure, that who we are is afraid, that who we are is that we don't believe in what God has placed in us. And all of us, we go through life one of three ways. We go through our life dealing with insecurity in one of three ways. One is insecure. Everyone say insecure. The other is falsely secure. Say falsely secure. And the third way that we can go through life is secure in God. Say secure in God. And so when we were born, God made all of us with a certain personality, right? Those of you with multiple children, you know that it's amazing how little kids can have distinct personalities, right? And so since you're a young child, you have a very distinct personality. And then throughout life, through the course of things happening, through nature and nurture, you then form who you are, your personality. 
And so no matter who you are, what we do to deal with insecurity is we turn up the dial of this thing called personality. So if you feel insecure, some of you who might be a little bit more na naturally quiet, what you can do is you can turn the dial of your personality down. And so when you're somewhere that you feel insecure, or you're around a group of people that you don't feel confident around, what you do is you turn your dial called personality down. You get quiet and timid, and you try to disappear, right? And you try to hide and don't pay attention to me. I'll just be over here a little wallflower. Don't pay attention to me. And so some of us, we turn our personality down to compensate with our insecurity. But then there's others of us that don't have that personality. But we turn the dial of personality the other direction. And we get louder and bolder. And we want to stand on the front of the stage and shout and scream, ah! right? This is what we do. This is how we live. We, we, we go full macho man. And so that's how we manage our insecurity, is we turn the dial up. If you can't tell which one I've struggled with in my life, it's the macho man syndrome. And if you were to look back over my life, uh, ghost of Christmas past style, right? If you were to sneak in on my life at any point, you would look at Trustin and you would say, you know what, Trustin, you look like you've been confident your whole life. Because you walk through with authority and you walk with confidence. But the truth is, if you really knew the story, there were many seasons of my life where it looked as though I had confidence, but all I really learned how to do was manage the dial of my personality. And so it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you are a wallflower or you are a macho man. Wherever you are in the personality that you have, if you're turning the dial of your personality to compensate for your insecurity, that needs to be dealt with. Because that's a problem. Because you're acting in a way that God didn't create you to act. And it's funny because wherever you stand, you think that the other one is worse. Right? Like you're like, oh, that's way worse than what I am. So if you're a wallflower, you would stand over there and go, that guy's arrogant. That guy's a jerk. He's got a big mouth. Right? And then if you stand over here and you look back at the wallflower and say, you're not accomplishing anything. You're not motivated. You're not driven. But wherever you are, whoever you are, we need to learn to navigate these things because really they both have negative consequences. If you're a wallflower and you go through life timid and afraid and shy and hiding away, what you do is you don't accomplish what God's called you to do because you're not confident enough to step out and try to do the things that he's done. So what you do is you spend your life not accomplishing what's really in your heart. But if you're over here a macho man, you may accomplish some things, but you're going to hurt people along the way. And so as I look back in some of my most macho man moments, the truth is that there were people's uh, emotional carcasses laying around me as I stood on top of people to try to accomplish something in myself. And so I've had to learn how to navigate the dial of my personality so that I wouldn't live in insecurity, but that I really would operate in confidence. You see, so we can live with insecurity or we can live with false security. And sometimes the reason we have false security is because we gain our confidence in what we're able to surround ourselves with. Yeah. We, we insulate ourselves with things, and we think, if I can surround myself with enough, then I'll have confidence. One of the things we try to surround ourselves with is money, right. right? That if I can amass enough things, if I can wear the right clothes, if I can drive the right car, if I can live in the right house, if I can have the right experiences of this vacation and post photos on Instagram so everybody know I spent $10,000 in Hawaii, right? If I do these things, then I can amass my confidence because of what I'm surrounding myself in. If I can find a man to put a big enough ring on my finger, then I'll have some value, right? Uh-oh, I'm stepping on some toes. And so what we do is we try to gain our confidence based on our finances. You know the problem with that? There's always somebody with more money. 
right? Like if you get to another social circle because of the money that you have, there's somebody else in that circle with more money than you, promise. There's some Arab sheik somewhere with a lot more money, I promise. It doesn't matter how rich you are. Somebody has more money. Or we try to gain our confidence from our relationships. It's still junior high, y'all. We're adults, but it's still junior high. And we want to sit at the cool kid table. And so what we can try to do many times is we try to get people around us. If I can be friends with this person and that person, if they like me, and if I can get a picture with them and post it on Twitter, then everybody will think I'm a success. And so what we do is we try to gain our confidence based on relationships. But again, there's always somebody who's more connected than you. There's always somebody who has more. Or the other thing we can try to gain false security in is our looks. We want to look good. We want to try to look right. We want to be fit, and we want to, be, we want to look good, and we want people to look at us and think that we're beautiful and think that we're strong and think that we're powerful. But the truth is there's always somebody who looks better. Sorry, you know? And you can try to win the battle of gra- against gravity, but eventually you're going to lose, right? Eventually you're going to lose. Sister Sag is going to show up, right? She's coming. She's coming for you. Brother Flab is on his way, right? He's one donut away from Brother Flab, right? And so he's, they're chasing you down. And so you can try and you can fight to find your confidence in how you look, but those things are eventually going to fail. You could be in perfect physical condition and have a six-pack. And guess what you're going to do? Meet somebody with an eight-pack. It's not fair. It's just how it is. It's just how the world works. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take care of yourself. Take care of yourself, right? You don't get some work done. You don't get a little nip and a little tuck and a little plump and a little thump and whatever. I don't know. You want to go do that stuff? Go and do it. That's okay. I mean, this is the, bo- this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And everything is a new coat of paint once in a while. But I'm just saying, like, we can't find our confidence We can't find our confidence in those things because those things are going to fade away. This is just an earthly tent that someday is going to return to the dirt. And so we can't find our confidence in our money or our relationships or in our body, but we try. We try to get enough money and get enough people and get enough good looks, and then we compare ourselves to the people around us, and comparison is a losing game because there's always somebody with more. There's always somebody with something better. And uh, the devil, what he does is he tries to get us to step on the landmine of comparison, that we can compare ourselves to the people, and it truly it blows up your confidence. Comparison is tormenting, isn't it? If you've ever fallen into that trap, comparison is tormenting, because you look at what somebody else has in comparison to what you have, and you think that it's not enough. So I want to show you how it works. Sometimes this has happened to me in my life, so I need some guys to come and help me uh, this morning. I need Mike Von Bargen. Mike, come up here. Adam, come up here. Uh, Aaron, come up. Andrew, uh, come up. Oh, Quintel. I gotta have Quintel. Okay, guys, come stand up here. So here's what happens. Guys, just line up in a row right here. So here's what happens. When we live our life based on our comparison. So I go through life, and I want to compare myself to people around me. And so what we do is when we do that, comparison is tormenting. Because I see Adam. What's up, Adam? Looking good in that suit. Man, I just got on this, like, sloppy little t-shirt, and I don't, you know, I don't look as good. And Adam, he's a firefighter and on the SWAT team, and I can feel the muscles in his back right now. <laughs> And so it makes me kind of insecure. So I see, I see Adam, and it makes me feel like a loser when I stand next to Adam. And then Mike Von Bargen, dude, Mike is six foot taller than me, right? I don't know. He's taller than me. And so I see Mike, and he's tall, dark, and handsome. And I'm like, man, I see Mike. He's talking to me in the lobby, and I, I just feel like a loser, especially I, I'm just mad at you guys, right? And so then Aaron, my friend Aaron, you know Aaron can fly an airplane, He can fly an airplane. If the apocalypse happens, he's living. I'm dying, right? right. And he drives a motorcycle. He's way cooler than me. So when I see Aaron, I think I'm I'm a loser. And then Andrew, 
Andrew preached a message last week. Remember the rope illustration? Yeah. Made me so mad. It was, it was so good. I got to follow up the rope illustration. He has a full head of hair. What's happening back here? <laughs> right? It, it makes me insecure. And then Quintel. Dude, Quintel is like a muscle man. He's a personal trainer. He can do push-ups for three days straight. Just doesn't stop doing push-ups. And so Quintel like teaches people how to get in shape. I see him running around in the parking lot. People are having asthma attacks. Quintel's just like he's not even trying hard. And so I see guys like Quintel and I feel like, I'm a loser. And so what we do is we walk through life in comparison, and I'm a loser, and I'm a loser, and I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, and I'm a loser, and I'm a loser, I'm a loser. And we walk through our life comparing ourselves to everybody who we see, and can I tell you something? You're going to always come up short. Because other people have different gifts. They have other things that they're good at that you aren't good at. And it makes you feel like you're a loser. Thanks, guys. And so we have to be careful to not get caught up in the comparison game because comparison it torments us because there's always somebody taller there's always somebody with more money there's always somebody with more muscles or more hair there's always somebody like that they're just out there and so what we have to do is not live insecure or falsely secure but we have to find our security in who God created us to be but comparison is the root of all insecurity it's the root, it's the foundation, it's where uh, insecurity grows down and it takes root is in this concept, this idea of comparison. My blender, my blender, my blender, he's like, where is he going? My blender on my kitchen counter, can I tell you something? That it is not insecure that I don't use it to toast my bread in the morning. My blender's not insecure, it's not my toaster. My television hanging on the wall is not insecure that I don't drive it to work. My toothbrush is not insecure that I don't take him out and use him to mow my lawn. You don't know why my blender and my TV and my toothbrush aren't insecure? It's because they don't have creation envy. They don't envy another thing that has been created. But don't we? We look at other people and we look at their gifts and their talents and their abilities and what they have and what we don't have, and we envy what they have and are frustrated with what we have. But my blender sits on the counter perfectly content that he can't toast bread and isn't shiny and stainless steel and that he makes smoothies and that one makes peanut butter toast, right? There's, there's no problem there. But with us, we want to compare ourselves to everybody around us and it only leads to insecurity when we compare ourselves to other things that God has created. I've preached this scripture before here at Living Church. It's just so powerful. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. The Bible says that we are God's masterpiece. That whether you are a blender or a toaster or a TV or a car or a toothbrush or a lawnmower, or whether you're six foot eight or you're four foot two, it doesn't matter where you are. You are God's masterpiece. That's where we need to amen, y'all. You are God's masterpiece. That God created you and he destined you to do great things. So don't look at what somebody else does and compare what you can't do. You've got to celebrate who God made you. But you see, it's in the doubt of our masterpieceness. Yes, I made up a word. It's in the doubt of our masterpieceness that insecurity is birthed. Then when we doubt we are a masterpiece and we start to think that we aren't good enough or maybe God made a mistake in heaven when he made us because he left this thing out, that that's where insecurity is birthed. It gets birthed in us and it messes up our life. We begin to doubt our masterpieceness for a couple different reasons. 
There's a few reasons throughout our journey of life that we start to think that we aren't a masterpiece. The first one is this. Words others have spoken over us. Right? That other people can speak hurtful words over us. And it creates this insecurity in us. That, well, because they said this, they must be right, so that means that I'm not a masterpiece. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, it says, The words of the reckless pierce like a sword. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is not true. Words hurt horribly bad. And so as people use words to pierce us and to stab us, they take root in us, and then they make us feel insecure. And so I don't know who the person that spoke some negative words over you is, but you've got to deal with those thoughts. You've got to learn how to navigate those thoughts in the minefield. Maybe for you as a mom or a dad. And when you were a kid, your mom and your dad told you that you weren't, uh, that you were an accident, or that you were a mistake, or that you were stupid, or that you were ugly, or you weren't as good as your brother or sister. And they spoke these hurtful things into your mind, and then now the devil, he just pops up on your shoulder, and he just starts reminding you of the things that were spoken over you. Maybe it wasn't your mom or dad, but it was a sibling, a brother or sister. Maybe you have that brother or sister who's always accomplishing more. He's great, <clears throat> He's great on the sports field. Or, uh, or she is the beauty queen, and, uh, and you compare yourself to them, and you think, I'm not good enough. They're, they're better than me, and this person spoke some words over you that hurt you in your life. Or maybe for you, it was a teacher or a coach. You had a teacher tell you who you weren't. You had a teacher tell you what you couldn't do. You had a coach talk about how everybody was better, and now, as you chase after your goals in life, you hear the echoes of someone telling you, what you couldn't do. Maybe it was a boss or a coworker. Maybe you worked for somebody who had a macho man complex that never learned how to navigate the dial. And so because of that, you're one of the carcasses surrounding their success. And so they beat you up and they pushed you down and they talked about what you weren't so that they could get a step up in life and succeed. And now it just plays over and over and over and you doubt your masterpieceness because of somebody else's lie. Maybe it's a husband or a wife or an ex-husband or an ex-wife. And there's a season of life that you were making some decisions maybe you shouldn't have made, and you found yourself in a relationship that you wish you weren't in, and you remember the lies that the devil spoke through a person to kill your confidence. And now you're getting blown up in the minefield because of the lies of somebody else. Maybe your son or your daughter, if you're a parent. You know, as kids, I think of things that I've said to my mom and dad that I've got to imagine hurt them really bad. And so maybe you have a child that said some things to you that are making you doubt your masterpieceness. Well, if I could, I want to quote the ultimate macho man, and no, it's not Randy Savage, uh, but the other macho man, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Arnold, he said this. He said, it doesn't matter what they call you, it only matters what you answer to. And see, there might have been somebody in life calling you a lot of bad names, calling you a lot of hurtful stuff, calling you ugly and stupid and worthless and unimportant. But you know what you don't have to do? Answer to that name. You don't have to turn around and say, oh, are you talking to me? Don't listen to it. Don't buy into the lie. Don't give their negative words power by adopting it in yourself. You can't listen to the lies of others. So we doubt our masterpieces because of negative words others have spoken, but sometimes we doubt our masterpieces because of negative words that we speak over ourselves. Right? Because if we play the lie that somebody else spoke to us enough times, we begin to believe it. And so we go from someone saying, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid, into... I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. And you look in the mirror and you think, I'm ugly, I, I'm not important, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm a sinner, I've messed up 
too bad. There's no way God could use me. Someone else's words turn into your words. And see, we label ourselves, don't we? We label ourselves, and labels are powerful. We remember the labels that people give us, and then we give ourselves. I'm going to show you how powerful labels are. I'm going to say someone's name, and then you tell me their label. Ready? Dora the... Right? We know her label. She's an explorer. Bob the... Conan the... Donald the... Trump. Donald the Trump. Yeah. Okay. I guess that is true. He is a... Yeah. He is both. Donald the Duck and Donald the Trump. Okay. How about this one? Buffy the... Okay. Last one. Winnie the... I don't even know what a poo is, but that's what Winnie is. That's his label. And so all of these characters, all of these people, they have a label, uh, so careful, they have a label associated with them, and that's how we remember them. That's how we identify them. Now, this is a question I don't want you to answer, but if I were to say your name, what would you say? How have you labeled yourself? Have you labeled yourself in a negative way? And do you view yourself as a way that isn't a success? Do you view yourself in something totally different than what God says about you? Because if you do, you're living in insecurity. And you're compensating in one of two ways. So we have to realize God has said some great things about me, and I have to stop overcompensating either direction to navigate the minefield of insecurity. Because, you see, the labels that we attach to ourselves can hold us back from reaching our full potential. You won't reach your full potential in life if you're held back by a negative label. Because if you keep telling yourself that you're stupid or you're not able to accomplish, then you're not going to accomplish. If you keep telling yourself that you're socially awkward, then you're never going to make any friends. So stop telling yourself that because it's holding you back. Anytime Rachel and I take the kids uh, to the zoo, the animal that I have to go and see is the elephant. The ele an elephant is amazing. It's the largest land mammal on earth. An elephant is powerful. An elephant can take its trunk and it can flip over a car. It can take its head and put its head against a wall and push down a building. I mean, nothing can stop the power of an elephant. But did you know that any elephant that's born into captivity, born into captivity, that when the elephant's a baby, its trainer can take a simple 12-inch wooden stake and take that wooden stake and pound it into the ground and then tie a rope around the top of that stake and tie it to the elephant's foot. And when the elephant's a baby, it goes and it moves and it realizes it can't go beyond the limitation of the rope tied to the stake. You've heard the saying that an elephant never forgets. Elephants have great memory. Guess who else does? We do. And so what happens is, is at some point in life, someone else or we, we pound a stake in the ground called insecurity and we tie it to ourselves and we're unable to get beyond that stake. The crazy thing is that the elephant grows up and it becomes powerful and it becomes strong, but it remembers the time that it was limited. And that's exactly what the devil tries to do in us. He wants to come along and pound some things down into our life, battle us in the minefield of insecurity so that we think that we aren't good enough. You see, but it's not just a regular wooden stake that the devil uses. He labels them with words like unimportant. And so he tells us that we're unimportant and that we're not enough and that there's no way that we can accomplish the things that God has called us to do. Or he uses words like poor. And we look at all the money that somebody else has and all the things that other people have in life and we think, well, they have way more than I do, so how would God ever use me? I'm just poor. Or I'm ugly. Somebody told me that I'm ugly and now I look at myself and I look at, uh, you know, 
edited photos in magazine covers, and I look at myself and I think, well, I don't measure up, so I'm ugly. And this thing, it hinders us from getting into relationship because we think, well, they won't like how I look, so they probably won't like who I am either. Or maybe the word abandoned. Maybe something happened relationally and somebody abandoned you. A mother or a father or a spouse, they left you. And so now you feel like who you are is someone not worthy to stick through life with. Or maybe for you it's the word sinner. Maybe you messed up. Can I tell you something? We all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But what the devil wants to do is take condemnation and strap it around our neck and call us a sinner. And then we think, well, because I used to sleep around or because I used to do drugs or because I used to steal or because I used to lie, well, I'm a sinner. And so now the devil has tied a rope around the stake and he's identified you in your own mind as a sinner and you can't find victory because of something you have power over. An elephant is bigger than the 12-inch stake. Maybe for you it's the word failure. Maybe you failed somewhere along the line. You failed in business, you failed in a relationship, and now you've identified yourself as a failure. Maybe for you it's worthless. I'm, I'm just worthless. I'm replaceable. I, I, I'm not significant. I mean, they, they could fire me and just hire somebody else to do my job, and it wouldn't even matter. Nobody even cares that I'm alive. I'm just worthless. Maybe for you it's addicted. There's something in your life, there's a habit. There's a substance that you just can't stop using, you just can't stop doing. And so you've identified yourself, and you say, well, I've tried to quit, but I can't. And so now I've identified myself as addicted. Well, try again. Try again. Because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's what my Bible says. And so we have to make the decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to live that way. Maybe for you it's a mistake. Maybe your mom got mad at you one day, and in a fight she yelled at you, and she said, you know what, you're just a mistake. You might have been a mistake to her, but you're not a mistake to God. God knew you before you were even born. And so you can't allow this thing that's identified itself with you to keep holding you back. Maybe for you it's awkward. You just seem to say the wrong things in groups of people. You just can't, the words just don't come out and you're fumbling around. And so now you think that you're awkward and it's hindering you in your relationship with God. Maybe for you it's weak. You think that you're weak. You're physically or mentally or emotionally and you keep asking yourself, why can't I just be stronger? Why can't I just pull it together? And you've identified yourself as weaker. This one has been a hard one for me. Is stupid. You know, I can't spell. I still can't spell. I'm a bad speller. My bad. And so throughout life in school, I identified this one area of weakness as this overarching concept that I was stupid. But see, that's what the devil does. Is he wants to take one little area that you won't, don't succeed in, and he wants you to identify yourself with that so you won't try to succeed in every other area. And so the elephant lives his life in captivity because of something that has no strength. He was born into captivity, and so were we. The Bible says that we were born into a fallen world, that Adam and Eve sinned and messed it up for all of us, right? That we live in a fallen world. But did you know that through Jesus Christ we can pull any stake out? That we have power and authority over any lie or scheme of the devil? But we just have to say no more. I'm going to pull my foot out of this thing and I'm not going to live bound up by this thing called insecurity anymore in my life. And you see, every new challenge of life brings new insecurities. Sorry, insecurity is one of those things that you have to continually face. It's not like you got over being insecure as an eight-year-old on the kickball field and now you're good. But every new challenge brings new insecurity. So uh, if you get a new job or you get a, a, a raise or a promotion at, at your work, well, now that promotion has created room for you to have insecurity because you've never done it before. If you've never been married and then you get married, 
you now are able to be insecure about, am I a good husband or wife? But if you were single, that insecurity didn't exist. Or if you have kids, right, you now have the whole new world of insecurity called, am I a good parent? So as you grow and as you move forward and progress in life, stakes keep popping up. Things keep popping up in your mind in the minefield trying to hold you captive so you can't progress into what God has called you to do. And all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Bible, it's full of men and women who battled insecurity. It's full of men and women who had something in life happen, tie a rope around their leg, and the devil trying to stop them from accomplishing what God's called them to do. I want to share just a couple with you this morning. First is this, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was assigned to be a prophet. God called him to be a prophet, to be a mouthpiece to a nation. But he was overwhelmed. He was afraid. He was insecure. The Bible says this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. He says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak, and I'm too young. He said, I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to make the words come out. You're calling me to be a prophet, which is a mouthpiece, but I don't know how to speak, and I'm too young. So that means people older than me won't even respect me. And then in verse 8, it says, I'm afraid of their faces. Because anytime everyone's face is looking at one person, it can kind of be intimidating, right? And so he's saying, I'm intimidated by their faces. I'm, I'm insecure because everyone's face is looking at me. And I love God's response to him. God says this in verse 5. He says, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were even born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. There's so much power in this verse that God says before I formed you. You know, God formed you. God made you who you are intentionally for a reason. The word formed, it simply means to frame and to fashion. That God framed you who you are for a reason. That he built the structure of your personality and your mind and your body. He framed you for a reason. And then after he framed you, he then fashioned you. He put the things on you. He allowed the experiences. He gave you the wisdom and the knowledge and the relationships. He fashioned you into who you are for a purpose. You see, God knew the assignment he had for you, so he prepared for you to accomplish it. God called me to be a pastor, so he gave me the gifts and the talents and the abilities that I need to do this. So don't compare your giftings to my giftings, because if you're not called to be a pastor, then you don't need to be good at preaching on stage and dancing around like a weirdo, right? You don't got to be good at that, but you got to be good at what you're good at. At your industry and your job with your family, God gave you the giftings he gave you so that you could accomplish the things he's called you to do. So stop comparing your giftings with somebody else's. I'm preaching better than y'all, let me know, but that's okay. So first, uh, he, he, he formed you and he fashioned you, but second, the scripture says that God knew you. That he knew the good, bad, and the ugly. That he knew your failures, he knew your faults, he knew your problems, and even though he knew you, he still set you apart and appointed you. He knew me. He knew all the times I'd mess up. He knew that I would go through 25 of my years of my life as a macho man and putting people down. He knew that about me, but yet he still appointed me and chose me. Yeah, and he did the same things for you. So no matter what you have done, no matter how bad you've sinned or no matter how bad you've messed up, it doesn't matter because in God, all things are new. That God wants to use you no matter what you've done. So he set you apart and he appointed you. And it didn't stop with it didn't stop with Jeremiah. There's another guy in the Bible named Gideon. Everyone say Gideon. Gideon. And the story of Gideon is amazing because Gideon was massively insecure. He was afraid and Gideon was overwhelmed. It says this in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So that means 
that he's in a basement making dinner because he's afraid a bully is going to come and steal it. So he's hiding because he feels weak. And it goes on, and it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So an angel shows up to Gideon, hiding in a basement making dinner, and the angel calls him mighty warrior. Listen to Gideon's response. He says, Pardon me, my Lord? <laughs> Pardon me? Like, are you talking to me? Do you know who I am? And he goes on, and Gideon he says, Listen, you don't know me. I'm, I'm from the weakest clan, and I'm the weakest in my family. So Gideon starts giving his resume of how lame he is, of how big of a loser he is, and he says, you can't use me. You're talking to the wrong guy. But then the Lord answered, and he said, I will be with you. It's amazing because God called him mighty warrior while Gideon called himself the weakest of his clan. And God has a name for you beyond the name that you've given yourself. It doesn't matter what name you've given yourself. God has a name for you that is beyond that name, that's greater than that name. His name is beyond that. You know, God looks at things that aren't and speaks to them as though they were, and then they become. He looks at David sitting in a field watching sheep, and he calls him a king. He looks at Gideon hiding in a basement, and he calls him a mighty warrior. And he looks at you, and he calls you an overcomer. He says that you are able, that you are able to do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So what we have to do is make a decision and say, am I going to be stuck? Am I going to be trapped by the things that have been holding me down? Or am I going to rip that stake out of the ground and live in victory and live in freedom? There's another guy in the Bible that might be the greatest example of someone who had to overcome insecurity. His name is Moses. And most of you, if you grew up in church, you know the story. Moses was called by God to deliver the people from bondage, from captivity. And I'm not going to read it, uh, Exodus chapter 3 and 4, you can go and read it yourself. But I just want to read to you some of the things that Moses says to God. He gives so many excuses and so many reasons. He asks God so many questions about why he shouldn't be the chosen one. Look what he says. He says, God, who am I that I should go and tell Pharaoh to bring the people out of Egypt? Who am I? He's doubting himself. He says, and then when I get there, what should I tell them? Then he says, what if they don't believe me or what if they don't listen to me? And then he says, pardon your servant, Lord, but I've never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to me. I am slow of speech and tongue. And I love it because Moses, he starts blaming God for not fixing the problem that he has. What he wants God to do is so he has a stuttering problem. And Moses is saying, God, I stuttered before you called me, and now you called me, but you haven't fixed me yet. And sometimes we get frustrated with God, and we say, God, that issue is still in my life. I'm still insecure. Why haven't you fixed it yet? Ready? It's because if Moses was an eloquent speaker, he wouldn't need to hear what God had to say. Because he didn't know how to speak and didn't know how to fashion his words, he was nervous and he was overwhelmed. He was insecure. So you know what he did? He had to get away and pray. He had to say, God, I don't know what to say. I'm intimidated. I had to go talk to a Pharaoh. And I don't know how to handle this. What should I say? And God spoke. But if Moses would have been a powerful communicator, a dominant personality, then Moses may have not even listened to God. And then guess what? God couldn't have used him. And so the very thing that's been holding you back your whole life may be the very thing that will set you up for your victory. You've just got to view it in a different way. You can't look at it in the same way. You have to live and operate in confidence. And so God answers Moses in all these questions, and he says so many amazing things. He says, tell them who sent you. God answers Moses' insecurity, not in who Moses is, but in who God is. He answers in who he is, and he says, I am that I am. 
Anything that you need, baby, that's who I am. I got all that you need. I'm going to give you everything that you're lacking. That's who I am. And then he says to Moses, hey, Moses, I'm the one who fashioned your mouth. Who fashioned man's mouth? You think that you can't because you can't speak, but yet I gave you the very words to say. You see, you already possess all that you need. Then God says to him, he says, Moses, what's in your, I don't, I don't have time. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? And Moses said, what's in my hand? I have a staff. I have a staff in my hand. And God said, throw it down. And he threw it down and it turned into a stick. And God said, pick it up and it turned into a staff. And I think that what Moses wanted was God to have a big army full of chariots to show up. But God said, I've already given you the answer. It's been in your hand the whole time. You have every gift that you need to overcome any battle that the devil brings against you. So church, what I want you to do this morning is make a decision and say, no more am I going to be held down. No more am I going to live in bondage. But these things that hold me back, they're not in my mind anymore. But I'm going to worship and I'm going to honor God and say, God, it's in you that I have the victory. So if you want to be set free from insecurity, stand up this morning and let's worship the Lord and say, God, it's in you that I have freedom. It's in you that I can dominate. It's in you that I can have power. Come on, living church, let's worship the Lord.